Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfeld, and you're watching Truth in Life today. I want to talk about Jesus and his genuine times, the world in which he came from, and what his world speaks to our world today. Join me today for an excellent series that tells us something of the authenticity of our Bible. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, well, this is what Peter writes, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it personally. Well, it's now been 2,000 years since Peter has written those words, and we no longer can interview Peter. All we're left with is the things that he's written. And so the real question that sometimes comes to people is that when I read the text of the New Testament, I read about Jesus, and I read about the events that occurred during his time period. Herod the Great, the butcher of the innocent children in Bethlehem, uh, the many miracles that Jesus did walking on the, on the uh, sea, um, healing the lepers, raising the dead, all of these things finally rising himself from the dead. Uh, the question is, do we believe this stuff? Uh, Peter said, look, what I'm writing to you is not a cleverly contrived myth. And so we have a right to ask the question, in the time of Jesus, the things that we read about, is this what real history looked like? Uh, does it have the ring of truth about it? See, that's a question that we can legitimately ask. See, on the one hand, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit that testifies in our heart when we read this stuff, we know it's true. And on the other hand, there is a witness of history that comes to us that says, yes, indeed. The Jesus of history is in fact the Jesus of history. He's in fact a real human being who lived among us. And if that's true, well, quite frankly, it changes everything. It means that we have been visited by God. Uh, today, I'm interviewing Dr. Andrew Perrin. Uh, he is an assistant professor of New Testament studies at Trinity Western University in Langley, British Columbia. And uh, he comes to us as a Dead Sea Scrolls scholar who can tell us something about the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. What were those days like? So I think you're going to want to watch this. It's really an exciting adventure to discover the life and times of Jesus. Well, welcome again to Truth and Life Today. It's a joy to have Dr. Andrew Perrin with us. And uh, we're going to talk about his passion, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls and what that actually means when we read the Bible. And I think you're going to be fascinated with this conversation. Dr. Perrin, thank you for joining us. No, my pleasure. I know you've been with us in the past. Yes. So thank yeah. you for coming back. It's good to be here. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, we want to talk about not just what was found at the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's your specialty, and I understand yeah, absolutely. that. But... You've told me that the Dead Sea Scrolls tell us something about the times of Jesus. Yes. Now, to be clear, because when people watch, um, all of the scrolls that were found at the Dead Sea predate the time of Jesus. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, coming from the time, which is kind of around the year zero on our, our clock. Yep. So we're talking about the Jewish world that's leading up to that point. So it's before the New Testament. But what many modern readers of the Bible might not register right away is that 
the ancient world of the early church is actually an ancient Jewish world. So this time in history and culture, uh, for most of us, we're not reading this as an, as an ancient Jewish text, but it comes out of that that uh, history uh, and that heritage. So the scrolls come from that time. Uh, it helps us really set the context. So it's not just about new texts, but also that context that we can really gain a lot of So the world in which Jesus came yeah. is a world we now know so much more about. Yes. Yeah. Well, now, this is very interesting because I've been to Israel on a numerous occasions, and one of the things that I have found guides say to me, and most of the guides, the Jewish guides, are very well trained. Yeah. Um, and most of them have said that prior to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they would have said Christianity is just a completely different religion. It has nothing to do with Judaism. Interesting. They're not talking that way anymore. Yeah. And is there something in the Dead Sea Scrolls that tells us that, you know, the Christian faith really does arise yeah. out of Judaism? Yes, I think there's a number of things. One of the examples that uh, comes to mind for me, we're reading through the Gospels, we're hearing uh, Jesus talking, debating, healing, amazing things happening. And there's a moment in Luke 7 and Matthew 11. I kind of think of 7-11. Let's talk about Luke 7. John the Baptist is in jail. He's on death row, right? And he wants to know, is Jesus the guy? Is Jesus the Messiah that they've been hoping for? So he sends some of his disciples, they ask Jesus, and then Jesus does what a first century Jewish teacher would do. He answers with some scripture and he says, well, tell them, tell John what you see. Uh, the blind receive their sight, the poor have good news preached to them. He goes on with a list of things that are all coming out of quotations from Psalms or Isaiah. But then he says that the dead are raised. At this point, before we had the scrolls, if you go back and look at Psalms, Isaiah, you don't have any reference to that. But in the scrolls, we find, for example, is a manuscript that's talking about messianic thought. Who is the Messiah? Who is this person? And they quote the same items, but then they say also, the dead will be raised. So that'll be one really kind of tangible example of going, well, the scrolls help us understand that theological world of ancient Judaism. And then all of a sudden, as you said, your experience with some of these guys in Israel, the New Testament, we read it as Christian scripture, but it's speaking in terms of ancient Jewish thought. And that would be one of those places where we could see some of that happening. So the, the authenticity of Jesus, you know, is mm. Jesus a real historical person who lived in that time period? I, I remember when I went to university, I, lots of people say, well, it's very doubtful there was even a person by the name of Jesus. And again, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the stuff that you study, I mean, it's, it predates Jesus, yeah. but it sets a stage for uh, the Jesus that we read about in the Bible yeah. actually existed in a real time period. Does it look authentic to you? Yeah. One of the things, again, maybe from your university days or traveling, you would hear uh, reference to the historical Jesus. Who was the actual guy? Yeah. And like you said, uh, they set the stage, right? Um, the scrolls help us. Again, they don't feature Jesus. They don't have stories about Jesus. But like any historical study, we got to know about the background. What was the history, the thought? the politics of the day, that study on historical Jesus, who was he, what did he do, and how did he teach, the scrolls help us kind of round out kind of some of that background for this world. Now, the, the, there's a community there that houses these yes. scrolls. That's yeah. a, it's a kind of a monastic community. Yeah, you can say something like this, yeah. Um, and uh, when you hear Jesus talking and condemning the scribes and the Pharisees, yeah, yeah. 
Um, does that Qumran community that housed the scrolls, is there an echo of that there? They like the, the priests yeah. in the temple, or did they not like them? Yeah. When I, one of the things that changed my way I think about the New Testament is when, when Jesus is debating with the scribes, have you ever noticed he's never debating how to write a manuscript? <laughs> he's, there's no parable of the margins that are too small or something like this. He's always debating interpretation. He's debating what did that mosaic tradition mean? What did that passage in Isaiah mean? So when he's debating the scribes or the Pharisees, uh, whoever it is he's, he's talking to, this group at Qumran would have been another one of those groups. And these groups are all debating each other on how do you best interpret this text and apply it to what's happening today. Um, so when we hear scribes, we might think of their copyists, but scribes are actually active interpreters. They're Bible teachers. Yeah, they're, they're interpreting text. They're trying to understand the text and apply it as well. So the, the, the debates that we find in the New Testament, if I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yes, Jesus yeah. is constantly in a debate with people. Yeah. And you're telling me that the world that you're discovering has debates, and the, the world at that time is rife with debates. Absolutely. These groups are trying to understand themselves, their history, who God is. And like most large family reunions, right, you, you end up having these conversations. Um, so they're all part of this ancient Jewish world. But within that, they're trying to understand for each group, whether it was Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, or the early Christians, how is it you understand the story of the Old Testament scriptures in the past as it relates to your present? And then what are you hoping is going to happen in the future? Well, maybe for those who don't know it, yeah. uh, the New Testament contains over 600 quotations yeah. from the Old Testament. Yes, yeah. So the whole thing it really is in the light of Jesus. Yeah. Let me tell you what these texts actually yeah. mean. So it's not as if we're suddenly steering into new areas. We're actually going over yes. the same text yeah. over and over again. Yeah, and in light of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's a really interesting thing too. Because if you take that statistic of... Uh, just how many quotations there are in Jesus' words in the Gospels and Paul. The top books that they're quoting from are Psalms, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. If we go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the top books they're quoting from are Psalms, Isaiah, and Deuteronomy. So when we're talking about groups debating and dialoguing and interpreting, there's something of this kind of bubbling up of these traditions where different groups are going. We think there's something about these traditions that really matters for, again, that who were we in the past? Where are we now? And where are we going? So that would be a space where we can look at the New Testament and go, they're part of the conversation yeah, in a really incredible way that we didn't quite know about before. See, there's always this question I think that historians ask when they read a manuscript. Like if they're reading the New Testament, yeah. the question is, am I reading... Is it like, you know, the Iliad? Is it simply, uh, you know, Greek literature, which is based on uh, all manner of stories that didn't actually happen? Or are we looking at real history? Mm-hmm. Um, it would seem to me that what you're saying is we have the context of genuine history because it matches so well with everything else that we knew happened in that day. Yeah. So the I, I think what we've, we've got is materials that get us into that, that space of that world. I think it's kind of like a travel guide. If you travel to Israel or any foreign country, you've got to have a guide to understand what you're going to be experiencing when you get there. The scrolls are part of that travel guide to this New Testament world because they might not have a profile of Jesus. This is who he was, where he lived, and all these things because they're before that time. But they help us understand that historical world. So again, to kind of come back to that idea of how do we look at the scrolls as historical documents and the Bible as a historical document? Well, 
they came out of the same time period. So we can gain a lot by reading them together. Now, here's an interesting question that sometimes gets asked. Yeah, yeah. People hear that perhaps John the Baptist belonged to this very community at one point in time. Um, Why do people even think that? Can I confess something to you? Yes. I spent a lot of time this week down an academic rabbit trail. I found myself knee deep in early 1950s newspaper articles about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the earliest ones had a headline uh, that this scholar was claiming, John the Baptist was adopted by this group Uh out of the Dead Sea. And that's why we get all these similarities. I see. So the idea of, you know, is there a connection between the Dead Sea Scrolls and New Testament? Almost right away, some people are jumping on this. I think the reason why John is such an appealing candidate is if you read the Gospels, you know, he's, he's a bit of a wilderness guy. He lives out on his own. Yep. He eats locusts. He's, you know, has some odd clothing out in the Gene Desert. It's pretty austere, and yes. those guys were pretty austere. Yeah, exactly. I respect, now I'm just going to break right I in here because that. we're going to have yeah. to take a break. Yeah. Let's just take a break. We're going to carry this conversation on with, with uh, Dr. Andrew Perrin. It's, it's, it's fascinating to come to realize that when you and I pick up a New Testament, that we're reading about a, a time that actually existed, about a Savior that actually was there, and about a God who actually entered into human history. That's the exciting part of this discussion. So come right back and we'll have more to say. When we last uh, left off, we were yeah. talking about John the Baptist. Yes. And uh, you had said, um, well, you know, what? Um, very early on, there were all sorts of people that were saying, you know, there must have been a connection. Yeah. Um, are they still saying that today? No, they're not. But I think the the interest behind that question, that original connection, was a good one. Because kind of what we're talking around is, how is it that the Dead Sea Scrolls help us understand the New Testament and the other way around as well? So from an early time, scholars are trying to connect dots. But I think probably the more the more responsible thing to do would be let, rather than say John had to be a Qumran to learn all this stuff, we've got to realize that John was an ancient Jew. Part of his kind of cultural knowledge was some of the things we see reflected in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, I want to change hats for just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want you to, for a moment, take off your scholar's hat. Yeah. And I want you to put on your hat of uh, a man who follows Jesus. Yeah who says, Jesus came into real history. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Uh, when you think about those two hats that you wear, um, talk about how your scholarly studies have deepened your own faith. Yeah. I think the, the scrolls for me, I first encountered these as an undergraduate. And it was the first time that I saw that the text, the, this thing we call the Bible, isn't just something you get off Amazon. It's not something you just pick up um, from a bookstore. It's a book full of stories, okay? But it has a story, and that story is something that is far deeper and older and more meaningful than I ever realized. So for me, that, that kind of faith component is seeing the Bible as not just sacred scripture, which it is, but also ancient scripture. And part of what excites me about the scrolls, again, not just academically, but reading ancient texts of this personally is going, how is it that this book that means so much to so many different people down throughout history has that longer story? And how can I kind of be part of that? Because what we're doing today is trying to make sense of scripture. And there's something really beautiful about seeing how communities in the past have 
done that. And for me, that's a really inspiring thing, not just something that I go, oh, I can't wait to develop a lecture on this for class. Mm. But it's a really inspiring thing to see that the Bible is a conversation partner um, that people have been talking about and talking with for, for generations. You know, at the heart of the Bible story is the story that at a certain point in history, that God himself stepped into the human race and that he dwelt among us. Um, as you have spent your lifetime trying to reimagine the world that once was, the very world that encountered God stepping into the human race and walking among us, um, how has that shaped your own faith? I think it's put, uh, it's gone from an idea, uh, a story you might have been told, to an actual space that you can not just imagine, but see in, see in kind of the cultural items we have from the past. Um, like you said a, a few minutes ago, you've traveled to Israel, right? Mm -hmm. That type of thing, even though it's a modern country, you get a chance to go, okay, this is what it means to go up to Jerusalem mm -hmm. in the Gospels. The same thing for manuscripts, or that was kind of one of those aha moments for me. It was the first time I'd actually worked with the scrolls in, in Israel, going, oh, this is kind of the backstory of the Bible. And not just intellectually or academically, but going, this is the family history of this book that we've been reading for thousands of years. And for me, again, that's not just information. That's actually something I get inspired uh, about. Um, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it's confirming, but it's about how do you enter into that conversation? Um, because we can take a lot for granted if we just pick up that book from Amazon and not think about where it's come from, because that should be something that means something to us. In, you've made a short video in which uh, you talk about a conversation that you've had with your daughter. Yes, yeah. And uh, would you relay that again? Yeah, so this is a, uh, I'm the director of the Dead Sea Scrolls Institute of Trinity Western, and the university asked, you know, could, we, could I share my story with the scrolls? And part of that, um, part of that for me was when we were in Israel, I was doing my PhD at the time, and I was working at a few different libraries in an archeological school. And I remember um, after coming home from that trip, our, our daughter, we were reading a kid's Bible, you know, cartoon book. Yeah, tell us how old she was at the time. Uh, she should have been about three or four years yeah, okay. old. Okay, so that put context. Yeah, and I remember her stopping me in the middle of uh, a story. We were reading something of the Gospels, and I remember she said something like, is this real? Because little kids read cartoons, they think cartoons, they don't think it's real. Um, and at first I went, oh, how do I, how do I as a dad with a PhD in the Bible <laughs> answer this question? But it struck me that she had been in, with us in, in Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. And we had, uh, we had a photo album of our you know, family adventures. And I said, well, let me show you a picture. One of the ways that we can know the Bible's real is you can go to these places and you've been to that place. Again, um, for her, you know, three, four-year-old mind, I don't think she remembered that, but for me, that's why, you know, history and theology, sometimes people think they're totally apart and can't exist together. What we believe about the Bible and the historical world behind it actually can really speak into each other. Now, it seems to me that the question of a three to four-year-old yeah. uh, is actually a significant question because I'm going to say that many of our listeners are asking that very yeah, same question. It's a huge question. You pick up the Bible yeah. and you begin to read and you say, is this real? Because, you know, eternity hangs in the balance on those questions. 
um, if what I'm reading is simply fantasy or the best that religious thinkers can do to reimagine a world that may not have existed, well, then we might answer, no, it's not really real. But it's a wonderful thing to think about. It's kind of yeah, like Santa Claus isn't really real. <laughs> but it's still nice to get But presents. it's really nice to think about that. It's nice yeah. to think that, that he's keeping track that I've been nice and therefore I deserve something. So, you know, there's all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that, that the world, the country that we live in is asking that question. Yeah. Is this stuff real? And, and how do you answer that? Yeah. Because... You're not just a scholar. You're also called upon to testify to Christ. Yeah, I, I can. I can say the the most frightening and difficult questions I get are not ones from you know scholarly peers or from my kids in the back seat on this because they're asking those honest, simple but profound questions, right? Um, and how do you answer that to a listener that says, "Yeah, is this stuff real?" Yeah, for kind of coming out from the perspective, perspective of the scrolls. We started talking a few times, or talked a few times in the last, uh, uh, last episode about, is history meaningful to the Bible? Because probably many people don't think about history as being meaningful to the Bible. There's a historical world of the Bible. Um, the studies we do on Jesus, Paul, all the other writers in the Hebrew Bible, the scholarly work that's being done on that is not just to go, how are these all good stories, though there are great stories, but it's what was the historical world around it? And that's coming from a presupposition that there is a historical world around it. Otherwise, it's kind of a circular question. So things like the scrolls, ancient artifacts, archaeology, that's all about getting at that real world behind the Bible that many of us probably don't even realize is there. Do you consider yourself an archaeologist? I, I, am, I know enough about archaeology to be dangerous, uh-huh. let's put it that way. I would uh-huh. love to be an archaeologist, but I've been on sites. I've never gone to school as, a, as an archaeologist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would love but there's to so much that you have in common with archaeologists. I mean, they dig around in the dirt. Yes, yeah. Yeah, ancient, like these, the Dead Sea Scrolls are archaeological artifacts. They're found in an ancient site. So, uh, sure, I could say I'm, by that small definition, an archaeologist. But it's the same idea. How is it that we understand, how do we interpret rocks and rubble of ancient cultures and cities and towns as we're relating to a historical world? The same question. How do we understand ancient manuscripts from lost or forgotten times as relating to a historical world? Because in the same way that that settlement didn't just build itself, these manuscripts didn't just write themselves. There's a world behind it. So thank you very much. Dr. Andrew Perrin, for helping us to understand something of the world of the Bible. I think we've just scratched the surface, but yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, I agree, yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, we've come to realize that when we pick up our Bible, the world that we read about, we can say to your daughter, honey, that really is real. It existed at one point in time. And in fact, God entered into our world. And we can now answer the question, is God there? Does he love me? Is there a way in which I can reach out to him? So thank you so much for coming and being a part of Truth and Life today. Thanks for having me. It's a delight to have had Dr. Andrew Perrin with us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You want to continue to to watch Truth and Life today. We want to continue to ask and answer questions that thoughtful people are asking. God bless you. I had asked Dr. Perrin a question. Did these things really happen? And, And you heard his answer. And I don't know whether you're satisfied with his answer or not. Uh, Dr. Perrin answers the question the way in which an objective scholar would answer the question. See, when we're talking about history and deciding whether or not a document that we're reading has 
the ring of real history to it. Uh, one of the tools that every historian will use is the tool that asks and answers the question, are what's being described here, does that comport with everything else we know about those time periods? And if it does, we have every reason for believing that we are indeed reading real history. And so Dr. Perrin's answer really had to do with what a scholar would say. But we do know that as a believer, he also comes to the conclusion that Jesus is indeed the only begotten son of the living God. So how do we put all of that together? Well, we know that the New Testament that we are reading is indeed a New Testament that came out of an ancient world. And we're learning more about that ancient world all of the time. And we're learning that the events that are described in our Bible perfectly comport with everything else we're learning about that ancient world. And suddenly the stories of the Bible are coming alive because they bear the ring of authenticity to them. It's for this reason that I love to say that the Bible is unlike every other book that we possess. It just is. You can look at any of the other holy books and they often don't come in the context of real living history. But this book does. That is, when God spoke, he didn't do it in a corner. He did it within the context of genuine human experience. And we who now live many thousand years later can look back at those times and read our Bible and say, indeed, the true and living God left a record of his dealings in the human race. There is an imprint of God's dealings among us. And we as a human race will never be able to escape this one fact. There is a God. He entered into this world in terms of his only begotten son. And he has given us every reason in the world to believe that he loves us and is offering a relationship to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's the wonder of the Bible story. And it's a story that we can tell a number of different ways, but it always comes down to this one thing. Will you hear this story? Will you listen to what God is saying? And will you come to believe? It's my heart here at Truth and Life today that the truth of the Word of God will become life for you. Come to Jesus today. Accept Him as your Savior and Lord and know the reality of the living God. Uh, thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, thanks for joining us today.